0: this is finally free a podcast for those sick of battling their bodies sick of fearing food and the number on the scale sick of punishing exercise on the pursuit of diet culture's version of health and wellness i'm alana Vandersloos, a certified intuitive eating counselor eating disorder survivor and the founder of freedom with food and fitness where i offer group coaching for women who are ready to heal their relationship with food in their bodies and become their healthiest happiest most confident selves without ever having to go on another diet on this podcast you will hear me answer your biggest questions around how to become a successful intuitive eater you'll hear inspiring stories of other women on their food freedom journeys those who are recovering those who are recovered and those who are helping others to do the same i'll teach you how to quiet that incessant voice in your head telling you you're not enough how to find peace and satisfaction with food again How to embrace the one and only body you have with fitness you enjoy so you can move through this world with confidence are you ready to be finally free before we get started i want to remind you of everything i have to offer with freedom with food and fitness first i offer group coaching My 10-week intuitive eating coaching program is called Defy the Diet, and it blends intuitive eating principles and mindset work in a hybrid format that blends group and private coaching to give my clients amazing results. My summer cohort client, Adriana, had this to say about me as her coach. She's helped me develop a healthier relationship with food and helped me uncover the root causes of my disordered eating. She's very open and honest about her own struggles in her journey, which empowers me and the other ladies in the group to have deep conversations about the challenges and pressures we face from diet culture in our society. I love it. And I love you, Adriana. If you are someone who wants true mental and physical health without restriction and obsession, Stop overeating, find consistency in nutrition, movement, and self-care, and take the guilt out of wellness. This program is for you. My fall cohort is full and enrollment is closed, but all is not lost, love. Get on the waitlist for winter, which will run January 2nd to March 6th, 2023. I cannot think of a better way to start the new year. If you're interested, go to bit.ly slash defy the diet waitlist to get put on the waitlist and be the first to know when enrollment opens. Again, that is bit.ly slash defy the diet waitlist, or go to freedomwithfoodandfitness.com and click on the waitlist tab. If you're not quite ready for coaching, check me out on Instagram at freedomwithfoodandfitness. There, I have free quizzes to assess your relationship with food and fitness, articles I've written, exclusive blog posts from my email list, people, and free intuitive eating worksheets, videos, and so much more. In today's episode, I'm talking to Nicola Salmon, a fat-positive fertility coach and author of Fat and Fertile. She helps fat folks navigate getting pregnant in a weight-obsessed world and advocates for change in how fat people are treated while accessing help with their fertility. Nicola uses her unique fat-positive framework to support people in finding their own versions of health without diets, advocating for their bodies, relearning how to trust their body, and believing in their ability to get pregnant. Nicola and I talk about how being in a larger body as a young person affected her relationship with the other women in her family, namely her sister, her mother, her battle with polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, and trying to conceive her son and how she uses the fat-positive framework to help other women conceive and also receive quality, equitable health care in larger bodies. As someone who went through fertility issues as well, albeit in a smaller body, I very much resonate and feel a connection with any woman who struggles with starting a family, if she wants to. So this was a really especially wonderful and connecting conversation to have with Nicola. If you like this conversation and you want more of Nicola, who wouldn't? uh, You can find her at Instagram at Fat Positive Fertility. Same with Facebook, at Fat Positive Fertility. And her website is nicolasalmon.co.uk. And there you can also get her book, Fat Person's Guide to Getting Pregnant. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Nicola Salmon. Hello, Nicola, it's so nice to have you today. uh, let's, let's make sure we're on the same page, uh, before we kind of dive into what you do, um, just in regard to terminology, you're mm-hmm. comfortable using fat as a descriptor, correct?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, so I'll probably interchange that with, um, you know, in a larger body, uh, just cause I know not everybody's comfortable with the word fat. Um, but let's start off with your childhood. What was your relationship like with food and your body growing up?
1: Mm, so it was complex to say the least. So I was never a child, a child that was in a very large body, but I was bigger than my sister. So I have a sister who's like three years younger than me. Um, so the best way that I understood about my body was like how it was treated compared to hers. Mm. So it was never like explicit, like you're different, you're fat, but it was always like, oh, you should have these different snacks from your sister because these are lower calories. So There was always this underlying sense of you know trying to eat healthier or you know do the actions without kind of being explicit about it and my mum went through her own kind of weight loss journey so I was almost like brought in as a part of that and something we did together so so it was kind of yeah fraught with those kind of experiences of knowing that I was different but not really understanding what that meant or what that kind of should look like um, I when I got my menstrual cycles at 13 they were super irregular so I think I only had one menstrual cycle up until I was 16 and it was then that I was diagnosed with PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome um, and that was the thing that really kick-started my weight loss weight gain yo-yo dieting cycle because I was told I wouldn't be able to get pregnant and the doctor said that, you know, you need to lose weight. So that's the thing that's going to cure you, going to fix you. So that was kind of, yeah, the real thing that kind of kick-started a lot of the more serious um, like implications around food and like really, really impacted my relationship with food and my body.
0: Sure. And I know I'm, I'm sure a lot of uh, listeners either have been diagnosed with POS, PCOS or have an idea Um that maybe they do have PCOS, but but I'm going to table that in a second. I I kind of want to go back. How, first of all, did your mom kind of looping you in to her weight loss journey, did that in your mind forge this connection between dieting and weight loss and
1: having community with women? Mm, Completely, because like the community aspect is always, you know, amazing at these kind of things. Like everybody feels like they're in a club and they're all together. But yeah, the real thing that it had was, yeah, like my bonding experience with my mother, like a lot of our relationship was built in and around this shared goal of weight loss. And it's been really hard to navigate that since I've rejected that idea that I want to lose weight or I want to, you know, go on diets and things like that. And it's taken a little while to get back to having a really positive relationship with her because, you know, she's still in that and she's not you know, like we're very different on how we view that now. And so much of our bonding, our time together, our relationship was kind of all, it got very messy because it was all really like wrapped up in that.
0: Sure. Uh, have you had to create boundaries around your relationship with her and and the things that you guys discuss?
1: Oh, really strong boundaries. And it helps being like across the country. So I don't live near home anymore. And so most of our communication is via Skype. Um, and I've made it super clear with, you know, my, both my parents that if they start talking about weight loss and dieting, then I'm just going to close the laptop. Like, it's that simple. Like I can just shut it off at the source. Um, and that's fine. But you know, we've had, so I've got a book and I wrote a little bit about like my experiences in the beginning. And there was a lot of kind of tears when they read that because a, I think because they felt a little bit responsible for it and, you know, it's not really something we'd ever explicitly talked about. Um, but I just think you know and there was no I was never shaming them I was never holding them responsible like parents who who navigate weight loss and dieting with their children often do it from the, the best of intentions of you know they just want what's best for their children and I absolutely recognize that but yeah I think it was hard for them to see in black and white like the impact that then that then had on me growing up and as a young adult and and all these things so so yeah it's been challenging but we're definitely coming out in a stronger place now.
0: Yeah, for sure. So boundaries, challenging yet necessary. And I love how it's just a very clear black and white line with you, with you. It's like, it's, it's just, I'm going to close the
1: laptop. Yeah. I don't have to hear that. I don't want to hear it. And, you know, in a, in this modern day and age, it's a really nice way of just going, yeah, this is just me leaving the room and walking away. Yeah.
0: And now your relationship with your sister, because you were kind of low-key compared to your sister, you felt different than your sister. You were treated differently in terms of nourishment than your sister. How did that, impact your relationship with her
1: good question I've not really ever thought about that so I think I think you know growing up with a sister with a sibling you know quite close together in age I think there's always been that comparison whether that's me to her her to me um but yeah we have a really good relationship now and I think um, you know obviously everybody you know everybody who has a body can b- battle with this sometime right in their lives and and she's always been in a smaller body, continues to be in a smaller body. Um, but yeah, I know that she still has to tangle, you know, like, and and goes on diets and things. And, you know, it's not, not something that's a part of our relationship. We've been lucky that that's just not something that's ever been a part of our relationship. So we never really talk about it. And yeah, a lot of our relationship now is focused on my children. Like, she's a great auntie. She has been around for a lot of their young lives. And yeah, like, that has been a really nice way to set up our relationship around them and around you know like just yeah recognizing and bonding over that so yeah it's been um it's been interesting but it's always really nice to kind of to to be able to have someone to share that with of like growing up and it's you know kind of sharing memories and experiences of hey do you remember this like i remember this and and how did you feel about that it's just nice to have that comrade comrade i can't can't think of the word that friendship.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so now going back to what you were saying with, you were diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, uh, a lot of women have it. A lot of women are misdiagnosed thinking that they, that they do have it. That was my experience. They thought I had PCOS cause I had like 50 cysts in both ovaries, but it was really a hormonal issue, but I digress. So when, when did you get this diagnosis and, um, what, what was your initial, I, I guess, how did you try to um, manage it? Mm.
1: So I got my diagnosis 20 years ago, so I was 16. Um, and for me, my symptoms were, I had excess facial hair. I was in a bigger body. I had really irregular cycles, um, acne. And then obviously when they kind of did further investigations, I had high levels of testosterone and the cysts on the ovaries or the immature follicles. Um, So it was kind of classic PCOS as you kind of imagine it, but we didn't have the internet. We didn't have support groups. There was no information. So I didn't really have any access to any kind of support. It was just weight loss or more contraceptive pill. And that was it, like that's all I was given. So it's only really more recently that I've started navigating what support would look like now for me. So for a long time, I was just on the pill, then I was pregnant, and then I was breastfeeding them, you know, like, and I was in that cycle of, of motherhood. And now, it's really only been in the past couple of years that I've actually started to think about, okay, well, you know, this still is an issue for me, I still have irregular cycles, I still have all the classic symptoms, but how can I navigate this from a non-diet perspective? So looking at things like supplementation, looking at how I move my body in ways that feel supportive, um, you know, really finding the pieces of the puzzle that help me in terms of, Navigating these symptoms and, you know, recognizing what's going to be really helpful for my own PCOS now.
0: Okay, great. And and you champion um, uh, women in larger bodies uh, who have PCOS, and you you are one of the pi- not not pioneers, but one of the one of the larger players in the fat positive community. I would consider you
1: because um, I see you everywhere.
0: Yeah. And so so how did you find that community?
1: Oh, I mean, I was just super lucky. So after the birth of my first son. I was still in diet culture, still very much in the case of, like, making my body smaller, wanting to to have that for myself, and it was around about when he was six months old, and I just thought, you know what, I am talking about my body in such a way that feels so detrimental, not only to my health, but if he started repeating back some of the things that I was saying, I would be mortified, and I really recognised that about the way that I spoke about food as well, I just felt like it was just enough, like you know, as a new mom, I was exhausted. I was just like, I don't have the energy to continue with this to continue trying to be somebody different to make my body smaller. If it's not happened now, it's probably not going to happen. So what about if we just try doing something different? So I decided I made myself two promises, I was not going to weigh myself anymore. And I was not going to die anymore. Um, and it's not been linear, it's been up, it's been down, it's been round and round and round. But uh, luckily, at that point, you know, Instagram, this was what, like six years ago, seven years ago, you know, and slowly over time, I found these incredible fat people who were just living their lives. And fat wasn't a thing. Like it was just, yeah, I'm fat. So what? Like I'm enjoying life. I'm being happy. I'm being, um, you know, I'm taking, doing all these incredible things in the world and being fat is just not, it's just a non-thing. It's like nothing. And that really inspired me. I just was like, wow. Like before that, I just didn't have the comprehension that I could be fat and happy. It was an either or. Um, so it just blew my mind. And then as I was already trained as a fertility coach at the time, I was already doing fertility acupuncture, which is where I kind of started. Um, and then it just, I just realized like, oh my gosh, like diet culture is so insipid in the fertility world it is everywhere. Even folks who aren't, you know, quote unquote obese, like um, people who are maybe slightly higher weights than they'd expect to be, but not like significantly higher. It's diet, 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 every single fertility clinic, every single fertility support person. It's all about dieting and weight loss and managing weight. And I was just like, this is awful. Like this is just like I just cannot believe how how badly this this is, you know, is treating people. Like people deserve so much more than this. And it's not helpful.
0: <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. Um especially when you know there's you can look at somebody And not realize that they have an eating disorder. Like somebody in a larger body could 100% be starving themselves. So when you tell them that they need to lose weight, all you're doing is triggering an eating disorder that's already there and people don't realize it. And I I think that it's just the easier option to say, you know, and it's just the cheaper option to say for physicians to stay instead of digging more with some more diagnostic tests. It's like, oh, just lose some weight yeah but it's wonderful that you found that community because you're right it's like okay i'm fat and i'm happy i'm thin and i'm happy i have blue eyes and i'm happy i have brown eyes and it's just it's just another descriptor we have to take the power away from it
1: absolutely and that was one of the most liberating things to do is to to start accepting the word fat and just being okay with it now my kids call me fat you know and it's just a part of who i am and it's not a big deal you know we always talk about you know not commenting on people's bodies because i really want them to just not talk about it and it just not to be a big deal and everybody's body is different so you know it's navigating that yes fat is okay for me but you know we don't want to offend other people who may have used had that word used against them in a violent way so it's navigating this world and but language is super important so using and reclaiming that word has been yeah such a big piece of my journey
0: That's awesome. That's so great. And then you, you now help women in larger bodies conceive and you have this fat positive framework. So can you talk a little bit about the framework?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So initially when I started doing coaching, it was, you know, kind of a one size fits all program. But the more that I started working specifically with fat folks, the more I realized that actually their needs were really different from people in smaller bodies, because there's a huge piece of like advocacy where they are not being, um, not being able to access care. And that is a huge reason why folks don't often get pregnant is because they don't have access to the same tools and treatments as folks in smaller bodies. So the fat positive um, framework is to do with F is for formulate. So that's about creating a healthcare plan without dieting and weight loss that, you know, really helps you navigate what you want in terms of your own health goals. So we try to make it as accessible as possible in terms of, um, you know, Everybody's got a different health. Everybody's got different aims about what health looks like for them. There are so many people with chronic health conditions that health isn't going to look like this, you know, Fitzbo on Instagram who's got you know ribbed abs and whatever. Like health is going to be different for all of us. So it's about finding where you are, where you want to be, and navigating that in really small baby steps. Um, Then the A is for advocacy. So really helping people with tons of research, tons of support, tons of tools around how to advocate for themselves in a bigger body. Um, and also when to to know that it might not be safe to do that and what other things that you can do and how to find healthcare professionals like there's so many different ways that you can um, navigate that and then the T is about trust so it's about really exploring your relationship with both food and with your body and really um, relearning how to trust both of those things so that you are able to you know believe that you're capable of pregnancy because for so many people there are so many messages out there that say you know, you can't get pregnant in a bigger body. It's dangerous to get pregnant in a bigger body. So it's about really rooting back into your body and trusting that it's capable of that. And then the last bit, the positive bit, is all around kind of a positive mindset. So not like toxic positivity, everything's great all the time. It's about really looking at your beliefs about getting pregnant and where you may have got those from and if they're useful. And if not, like how we can navigate what you believe about pregnancy, being fat, being fat and pregnant, Uh, and how we can create the most supportive beliefs so that you're able to use those beliefs to inform your daily habits and like your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions and, you know, existing in a bigger body.
0: Absolutely. Um, I, I love what you said about toxic positivity. I was just talking about that with somebody else on a call. And, you know, it was this positive vibes only thing is such BS. I know it's so bad. You can use those negative emotions to, Figure out, you know, what's what's bothering you or what's wrong, and it's a way to troubleshoot. And um, I love what you said about advocacy with, you know, primary care providers. When I was pregnant, because I have had a history of disordered eating I told them I didn't want to be weighed and a lot of women say you know I didn't know I could say that I didn't know I could refuse that it's like oh no well I what I said is that they if they wanted it for the chart I just wouldn't look and then I wouldn't look on the portal but you can flat out say do not weigh me and what are they going to do like pick you up and put you on the scale like you can absolutely (laughs) say no um so a couple of questions from what you said about um the framework uh number one is is there a resource or a place where people can find you know health at every size fat positive um, primary care providers or OBGYNs?
1: So I've got a list on my website of fertility clinics specifically that I've found that have been supportive but there are a couple of other really useful um, resources that I often steer folks to. so there's um, plus Mummy or Jen she's got a really great Instagram account and Facebook and um, website when she's got a really good list of fat-positive OBGYNs and then there's another incredible influencer called Mia O'Malley and she started crowdsourcing OBGYNs, doctors, primary care physicians, you know, all over the U.S. to be able to help people find fat-positive doctors. That's awesome.
0: So other than refusing weighing yourself, what else can people do to advocate for themselves with their doctors?
1: so the main way that i help folks advocating is actually access to care so a lot of fertility clinics a lot of OBGYNs, they'll have bmi barriers to accessing things like tests treatments any kind of support so it's really helping people a find a provider that's not going to do that because that is the best possible outcome and that's absolutely the care you deserve um, but if they can't find one whether that's for geographical reasons financial reasons insurance reasons Then it's about helping them navigate that conversation so they still get access to the treatments or tests that they might need so helping them understand what tests might be important for them it's helping them figure out what treatments that might they might want what questions to ask and then also providing them with the evidence to have that conversation so if the doctor says no you can say well here is all the evidence that shows that this should be absolutely okay for me to do from a safety perspective from an efficacy perspective Um, And, you know, like, can we have a discussion about this? You know, who can I ask about this? What evidence do you have for declining me? Um, So it's about, you know, being able to have those conversations. And I absolutely help people. If they have a doctor that they're working with, I can send them emails. I can talk to them and just really help them navigate that from a completely research-backed perspective so that they can access the care that they need.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, there's definitely that barrier where... People in a larger body won't get the same care or the same path to care that someone in a thinner body would because they have that will lose weight first barrier. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so now I know a lot of women are probably thinking, well, what about things like gestational diabetes and preeclampsia? They're they're taught that if they're in a larger body and they're pregnant, that those are something to be feared. So how, to what degree are those fears unfounded or founded?
1: So it's a really great question, and it's one with kind of a few different layers. So if you look at the research from face value, yes, folks in bigger bodies, the higher your BMI, the higher your chance of these things happening. So, for example, gestational diabetes, if you have a quote unquote normal BMI, then your chances of getting GD are about 2 percent. Whereas if you are in the highest BMI bracket, then it jumps up to about 10 percent with like varying degrees in between. So, yes, your chance of getting it is much higher but it's still 90% of folks who don't get it at the highest BMI bracket. So I think it's important to have that information and also be aware of, of that, the actual numbers of what actually you know, your chances of getting it are. Um, And also, we know that gestational diabetes can be well-managed. It's it's something that can be really easy to monitor, to check, to manage for folks. So it should not be a barrier to care. But what is really important to acknowledge is that all the research does not take into account two main factors which impact fat folks' healthcare. And that is weight cycling, so yo-yo dieting, and weight stigma, which is the way that fat people are treated both by their healthcare professionals and the impact that that then has on how they navigate their own health through the healthcare system. So both of those things play a really big role in pe- fat people's healthcare. So what it means is that we've got research that it shows that it increases chronic inflammation, which impacts hormones. We know this impacts their stress levels, and we know that all these things impact the physical health and mental health of fat people. So for me, what I see this as, this increased chance of these things happening, is actually the real-life impact of weight stigma and weight cycling on the healthcare of these people. And um, so, what the work that I'm doing to help them navigate that, with research, with support, is actually reducing that risk because they are going in with support networks, like from me and from other providers, and also with more information about the real risk of what these going to happen, so they can make informed decisions about their own healthcare.
0: Right. It's like what I see on Instagram where it's like eating the cookie is way healthier than stressing out about the cookie. Like stress does some crazy things to your body, you know, increase cortisol and, and adrenal fatigue and all these things. So so that actually leads perfectly into my next question is we live in such a weight obsessed black and white view of health. What does health mean to you? How would you define true health?
1: Mm, so Yeah, you're right. Like this black and white idea is always a really dangerous trapping to fall into. And like everything is on a spectrum, right? Everything should be able to live on that spectrum from one point to the other. And I think for me, health is the same. Like it varies on a day-to-day basis of what A, my health is going to look like and being okay with that. And B, the things that I want to do to promote health in my life, depending on menstrual cycle, how much sleep I got, like all those things, but I always take it back to super simple basics. So sleep and rest is a huge component of my health. Um, And I really, really value having those things in my daily life. Um, And I try to keep it as simple as possible. Like I try to move my body consistently, but that really depends on how I'm feeling. And I never want to pressure myself because of my previous relationship with exercise was always felt like it was punishment. Um, And it took me a long time to heal from that. So it's, For me, it's about really being kind to myself. I think that would be the essence of what my health is, is being kind to myself and looking after myself in the best way I can in the moment that I'm in. Perfect. I'm so glad we were able to talk today. I have one final question for you that I ask everybody.
0: And that is, since this podcast is called The Finally Free Podcast, what does it mean to you to be finally free?
1: Mm, That's such a good question. I think for me to be finally free is to be able to make choices in my day-to-day life based on what I want so for such a long time it was always oh I should do this or should I do this or you know the weight and the expectations of other people's needs and desires whether that's to make my body smaller or to just be the perfect daughter parent child you know all those things so finally free is to me to be able to make the choices that I want to do with my life so Yeah. Awesome.
0: Thank you so much for meeting with me. This was fantastic.
1: Thank you for having me. This has been such a joy.
0: Of course. All right. We'll talk soon. Bye. So that is it for today's episode. Seriously, of all the podcasts you can be listening to, I'm so honored that you took the time to listen to mine. I'm also so proud of you for taking this small step forward toward food and body freedom. If you like what you hear and you want to work with me as your coach, go to freedomwithfoodandfitness.com to schedule a free 15-minute discovery call. That way I can hear your specific needs and set up a game plan for your success. I would also be so, so grateful if you could subscribe, follow, rate, and review this podcast so many more people who need help with dieting, body image, disordered eating, and fitness can find our message of freedom. Until next time.